Welcome to the Books Brothers Podcast, where each week we read, discuss, and challenge each other to become better men and have a few laughs in the process. The Books Brothers are currently reading The Mask of Masculinity, how men can embrace vulnerability, create strong relationships, and live their lives to the fullest, written by Lewis Howes. This week, yours truly, Rob, leads our discussion as we unpack the know-it-all mask. In this episode, we talk about the toxicity associated with men who fake it because they are too afraid to admit if they don't know something, to those men that just won't shut up, acting like they know everything. The bros break down how it is through vulnerability, humility, and listening that we gain real wisdom and truth. After the show, please share your comments and feedback on the chapters by emailing us at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com. So I got to help surprise Rob on Monday night for his B-Day. It It was pretty fun. He was surprised. Yeah, man, I was definitely surprised. You were at, you went to Dorlock. He was like a little puppy dog talking to everyone. He's like, oh my gosh, hey, good to see you. Just like going around everyone with a huge smile and laughing. It was crazy, man. I didn't expect that. That's cool. Did you cry, Rob? Uh, I might have teared up for a oh, minute. Okay, that's what's oh, up. No, look at that. You, Rob. <laughs> what kind of IP? What kind of IPA you have? Uh, they were they did a collaboration, I guess, with Q thirty nine called mm-hmm. Smokering. That was so delicious. That. That was really yeah, good. it was all right. It was a little <laughs> soury for me, but then mm. I went with their other Old Faithful, their Hang 'em High, which is just like a rotating series. But that's cool. Guys, this is not about having fun, okay? This is about <laughs> publishing an, a piece of art. That's right. We what? need to pump out these podcasts as Get fast next as to your links. <laughs> Take your little apple juice out of there. It's actually apple sauce. <laughs> That's awesome. And like, got a, those apple sauces for life. babies, for toddlers. Yeah, Flo's got addicted to these go-go squeezes in Hawaii, dude. I did, dude. <laughs> I can't stop. My, uh, my almost three-year-old and almost five-year-old daughters love those things. Mm. I see. They're they're probably smart. <laughs> Alrighty, gang, welcome back. This week we'll be unpacking the know-it-all mask, where we will explore and digest the impacts associated with how some men today hide behind their invincibility of knowledge, how the compensation, or rather overcompensation, of knowing it all continues to affect men both personally and professionally, and how that lack of humility and desire to learn is only directly hindering men and those around them. The chapter starts off with how excited Lewis Howes is to interview Mike Rowe, the host of Dirty Jobs, and how he can't wait to hear Mike's answer to his burning question, what's the one skill every human being should focus on and have? Mike's answer of two ears, one mouth leaves Lewis initially confused, but really paves the way for what the chapter is all about, admitting we don't know everything, listening, and humility. This chapter continues to share various stories of how male vulnerability and the realization that we don't know much or anything at all is the precursor to growth in knowledge and wisdom. It is through listening that we can truly remove the know-it-all mask to better ourselves and be a more positive experience to others in our lives. Lewis opens up about how he initially struggled to write his first book on greatness 
and how he ultimately pivoted away from writing about what he knew to focusing on what he still needed to learn. He goes on to state on page 182, nothing is scarier than a man who can't admit that he doesn't know what he's doing and a man who thinks he has all the answers. Both men are dangerous because they have stopped learning. So my first question is from the above quote, which do you relate to more? The man who can't admit that he doesn't know what he's doing or the man who thinks he has all the answers. Aren't they often the same man, though? You tell me, Thomas. I think I can, I, I admit, I can relate with both of those things. At different times in my life, I feel like I've been that way more often than not. I think early on in my career, especially, I didn't want to admit I didn't know what I was doing because I thought because I had graduated college and I had a degree, I was supposed to know something. And I guess my first year or two out of school, I was always worried about asking or, you know, asking a dumb question or maybe admitting that I didn't know something because I assumed that was going to be points against me succeeding. Yeah, I think with with starting a new job, I can relate to what you're saying, Thomas, about, you know, when you're in the workplace, you you don't want to come across as unintelligent. You don't want to come across as slow, but you also uh, want to ask questions. You want to be able to get an idea of doing your job as good as you can. It's your best abilities. And I definitely like take some humility to ask a lot of questions and to seek answers with things. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's you worry, are, are you putting off an impression that you don't know things or you don't know how to go about finding things? Yeah, totally. I guess now that I've been working for about 10 years, now it's a lot easier for me to just admit, yeah, I don't know that. Can I get back to you? Because in hindsight, I always respected people that said that rather than try to BS me. I remember this. I don't know if I'm skipping ahead here, but I remember this chapter mentions mansplaining. Mm -hmm. And I think mansplaining is the female version of a guy telling them a bunch of stuff that either they already know or the guy doesn't really know himself, but he's trying to project some form of like intelligence. Mm -hmm. But the men's version of that is just BSing. I think yeah. men usually use the term like, oh, yeah, he's a bullshitter or something instead of he's a mansplainer. And I think it means the same thing. It's just men and women yeah. identify those two people differently, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I guess I've been, Rob, to answer the question, I've been more on the side of the man who can't admit he doesn't know what he's doing and just kind of like staying silent instead of saying, oh, yeah, I don't know that rather than the man who's like always bullshitting everybody. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. When someone asks you a question that maybe you feel you should know, or may, maybe, maybe genuinely you don't know, but let's say that you feel like you should know it. Does it ever feel like you are like kicking yourself that you don't know the answer that it's oh, like, yeah. Oh, that's something I should, I should know. I kind of struggle with that. Sometimes it's a pride thing where if I'm not able to surface a, a genuine answer, not a statistical answer that I need to like go and reference a, an analysis or something like that, but more of like a fundamental question. You ever find yourself struggling with that? For sure. There's like an immediate reaction that you have to kind of push to the side because you don't want to admit to yourself that you don't know something. Yeah. 
Um, but the real question is like, why do we have that initial reaction? Like, what is it that so commonly instills that initial reaction into a man's psyche? You know, like, what is it growing up that we hear or see or expect of ourselves that makes us feel so much pressure to just have all the answers? Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes in those situations, Rob, I find that I will want to even make up an answer if I don't know an answer and fabricate something. And I, you know, I hate that. And that's something I've been trying to work on because it's, it's a lie. You know, it's it's a lie. It's something I've been really trying to work on. And Thomas, with what you said there, I think when I was younger and growing up, I always did like pretty well academically and that continued on through college and such. And so I feel like I, I developed like a reputation of knowing things. And so I think sometimes when you know things or, you know, you have that reputation to match up to, I know for me, like it's the idea of like, I don't want people to think that I don't, that I'm unintelligent. I don't want people to think that I don't have an answer, but what I have found, and I know this talks about a lot, this chapter, the smartest people that I've ever met, when you ask them like more complex or hard questions, they're way more prone to say, you know, I don't really know. But I do know this, and they'll kind of talk about things that they might know about the topic. And they're not saying like they know the answer to that question, but what they're saying is, I can kind of deduct an answer this way, because I do have experience in other areas, but I don't really know. And But yeah, I think there's something very humbling about saying you don't know something. But again, I find the smartest people are often saying, you know, that they don't know everything. And I think that the smarter that you become, you'll you find that you really hone in on what you don't know. I think the more skill or knowledge base you develop on a subject, the more you'll feel like you're confident with what you don't know or your weaknesses. And that was one thing, you know, I did uh, physical therapy for seven years. And the more I did it, the more I felt confident when I would say, I don't know. Whereas earlier on, I maybe would fabricate an idea or answer or kind of like really estimate. Yeah. Yeah. After my bachelor's degree, I thought I knew everything about yeah. working out, personal training. I mean, I knew everything. And then I got a master's and I'm like, I don't know anything about anything. You know, yeah. I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. So, yeah. I remember when I finished college, I remember having this kind of disappointing feeling of, oh, I thought I would feel smarter. I thought I would feel like I know more. And the same thing happened whenever I finished graduate school. And I think that the lesson for me in that is just, you're really never going to feel like you've made it until you've made it. And like, once you've like made it in something or you feel competent or skilled in something, you've been doing it for a while and you've been competent for a while and you didn't really realize when that moment was. And I think that sometimes is really a, can cause anxiety when you're in that like growing and developing part of the process. Yeah. I like what you said there, Stalen, about when you talk to people who are actually the smartest person in the room, they are likely to be more humble. Mm -hmm. I think that's accurate. Although for myself, I think I just did it right there. Whenever I say something, I say, I think this, or Mm -hmm. I think it could be this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a way of me putting myself down a little bit because Hmm. words are powerful. Words Mm -hmm. can have a huge impact, good or bad. And I take that very seriously most of the time. So when I say, I think this, I also end it with, but I could be wrong about that. So it's like, I give my opinion, but I don't want you to take my word as like the final answer. Because yeah, yeah, I could be wrong. I don't know everything. 
And I don't want you to think that I do know everything. If I end up being wrong, then I've kind of already put myself out of the situation where I say, this is just what I think. There could be other answers out there. So if what I say is wrong, don't hold it against me. Like, don't think that I'm an idiot. And I do that all the time. But I'm, I'm one of those people who would rather not say anything rather than say the wrong thing. Mm. Yeah. Because I don't want people to view me afterwards as being an idiot or being someone who just doesn't know anything and is <laughs> one of those bullshitters. <laughs> I would much yeah. rather just stay silent than say something that I'm not confident in. And that's a good quality. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I qualify a lot of what I say. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I do that a lot. I think that's just having like a research background. Maybe yeah. that changed me a lot in the way that I kind of view things and then speak. I think when you when you yeah. say you qualify, though, what does that look like functionally? Kind of similar to what Matt's talking about. Like you kind of give like this is why I think this, but I could be wrong type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you guys read the book, The Four Agreements? Yep. It's a really short book, but it's pretty powerful. It's essentially saying there's a philosophy from Toltec wisdom. And if you go by these four agreements that he talks about, then your life will be free. You'll have no guilt. You'll have no nothing like weighing you down. And the world, if everyone adheres to these four agreements the world will be a much better place, much happier place. But the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. (laughs) Meaning always say what is true. And one of the things that stuck out to me when I read it was don't gossip about people or put people down because your words are, again, they're powerful. They're like magic. Whenever you speak those words, and you're degrading someone, you're putting bad words out there into society. And yeah, yeah, if everyone were honest and true with what they say, then the world would be a much better place. Yeah, it's good. That reminds me of the the phrase, say what you mean and mean what you say. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. The phrase, walk the talk or walk the walk comes to mind as well, you know. Yeah, I think what sometimes your your mouth is too. a lot of people can't seem to do things and take actions that are really in line with how they speak or what they say. It's interesting, though, that with that, what gets in the way is our concern about our perception or our concern about how someone is going to feel with what we say, which it's good to care Mm -hmm. about. Yeah. It's good to care about how your words impact people, but sometimes it means having like a harder conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, that's, that idea is kind of getting a little bit off off the topic of kind of the know-it-all mass, but the idea of just, yeah, I mean, just dealing with conflict with that. Obviously, mm-hmm. one one reason we like to pretend to know things we maybe don't know, or even if, you know, we know things and we, we know probably everyone else knows it too, but we just want to hear ourselves talk. <laughs> I think those things come from obviously like a need to either be respected or accepted or, you know, to prove to someone something and make yourself feel a little bit better. But what about the fact that this attitude is so pervasive that you almost feel left out if you're not one of the guys shouting over the next guy saying that he knows something 
you know, like I almost feel like in some groups, I mean, you look at social media or any online forum and it's, it's really hard not to be a know-it-all if you want to fit in because there's no one else there, you know, like you're the odd man out if you're being thoughtful and critical, a critical thinker, you know what I mean? Most, most people are just like, you know, here's the facts. There's no room for any sort of discussion. I'm right. End of story. Yeah. And I just feel like that's, that's pretty common. So when Matt and I were together on Monday, we kind of were even talking about this. Like I've even found myself struggling when somebody answers the question and then it's like, Ooh, I, I you know, I want to talk, let me talk. Yeah. And then Nope. Somebody side rails it and then they have to tell a story. And then I'm over here like, damn, when am I going to say, you know what I got to say? And I'm totally not even like listening to the conversation. It's just more like, when do I get to get my foot into the door to say what I want? Say hi, peep back out and just make sure that, Hey, did anybody hear what I had to say? So I don't know yeah. if any of you guys have experienced some of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's me, like, with every conversation ever in my life. <laughs> ever. Matt's always, like, the last <laughs> thing to comment. And then Garrett wants yeah. to tell a story, and then Matt's like, yo, let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I usually just wait till you guys are like, hey, Fluz, what do you think? Because <laughs> <laughs> we care, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, to, to wrap up this, this question, because I, I do want to move on to the next one. And um, I don't know. I think there's some like male stubbornness associated with this because the man who can't admit that he doesn't know what he's doing, like how many of, you know, of us have watched our dad or even ourselves when we're on vacation and they get lost and the man doesn't want to stop and ask for directions, you know? An example like that, or I don't know, even in my work, I feel like the man who thinks he has all the answers, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking too close-minded, but I feel as if a lot of the situations that I deal with at work today are are more like binary, like they're ones and zeros, they're yeses or nos, and it's, I don't know, it's either you know the answer or you don't kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but I think there's been a lot of learning as well to not, to not fully think like that, so... I can relate to it a little bit to both of those things. But Matt, to bring up another book, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. He talks about the 10,000 hour rule. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are you guys familiar yeah. with that? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he's saying it in relationship to music capabilities or... He talks um, about the like Beatles. Coding, coding stuff. Yeah. Where it's to become an expert, you would need to really spend like 10,000 hours in something, which quick math... 10,000 divided by 40 hours a week is 250 weeks. Let's say there's 50 weeks in a working year. That's five years. Five years. And like that's super specific. I mean, mm-hmm. I think today the average person probably spends one, two years in a job and then they're kind of on to the next thing. So as much yeah. as you think we might know, we yeah, I mean, we're going to get into it. We we probably realize that we don't know much at all or we're just kind of grabbing a very, very base level understanding. I think, you know, I'm two years into my role and I'm still learning a lot and uh, different sides of things too, like people management and different conflict resolution things that are not necessarily day-to-day type of um, getting the work done. 
Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Do your feet just stank after a long day that those dogs are barking? Do you need to air those puppies out midday but are too afraid of the rank stank? Now introducing cologne socks. Cologne socks follow patented scent release process upon the presence of foul feet odor or toe jam. Cologne socks keep your feet and socks fresh for up to 12 hours. Now introducing scents of mahogany teakwood, barbecue, and older spices. Why remain self-conscious about your stinky feet when you can air them out for others to adore? Cologne socks. <laughs> Indulge in the fresh scent of freedom. <laughs> Dude, everybody who listens to this is going to think we're like the nastiest, smelliest, dribbliest dudes ever, man. Just to be clear, just to be clear these are only about Rob. Kalen's <laughs> <laughs> a oh, big man. fan. Of I love that you used that the term. That was probably my favorite one. Rob, that was probably my favorite one you've done. <laughs> I, love, I love how you use the term dogs are barking. I use that term all the time. <laughs> and now back to the show. Just my next question real quick. Just how would you define your guys' relationship with, with learning and wisdom? Is it, I mean, I feel as if we are kind of all after that, but I'm curious what the evolution of that has kind of looked like for you guys over the years. I think honestly being promoted to leadership roles have hurt my relationship with learning more than they have helped because as a, I think part of the reason why we're stubborn about this is because men are supposed to be leaders and the most masculine men are the, are the ones that everyone else follows because they know what they're doing and everyone else can have confidence in that. And even if they don't know what they're doing, I think it was another chapter in this book where he interviewed, Lewis interviewed a Vietnam vet about leadership. Isn't that right? Yeah. And he said, I just had to pretend and I was scared too, but I was oh, also yeah. the leader. So they, yeah. they needed... They needed to have confidence in, confidence in me. They needed to respect me. And so I just, as a leader, I just had to pretend everything was great and I was, I was confident. And I think this, this kind of is the same story with knowing things is if someone that is technically a subordinate asks you a question and you don't know it, then all of a sudden you feel like, oh, I don't deserve this role. And so I guess for me, it's like almost, it's hard when you feel like you're in a leadership role to continue to be the student in some form or fashion when you feel like you have to pretend to know everything, I guess. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. That's just, that was a stoic mask by the way, Thomas. Yeah. yeah. So I would say my, my position has made it e either easier or harder. Like right now I just started a new job and I feel like it's so much easier to be the student because no one expects me to know everything yet. Yeah. But, I think what you were just talking about there is, the the story that Lewis shared about Ursa, the the rig by Shell Oil, um, and just basically how they brought somebody in to have men be more vulnerable because they're dealing with millions of dollars and a yeah. bunch of big egos of dudes that don't want to admit that they don't know this or that, and the negative consequences that that has for you know a billion dollar organization like Shell Oil, removing. Ego will what help protect the business right then and there. What does it tell you that a company with that much money told men that they had to be more vulnerable? It really 
is telling as it pertains to what actually works and what actually makes things safer, makes things more efficient, makes people more productive, makes them happy on the job. I mean, that's a tough job to be out on a oil rig in the middle of nowhere for months at a time working like 12 hour shifts. So, I mean, shoot, we're missing something if if we're not doing the same thing that those guys who make money are doing, you know? What's funny about that too is that decision to invest in encouraging men to be more vulnerable. It wasn't really about striving after helping men no, or helping these workers, but but to make more money or yeah. like save from. That's um, how you know it's true. Money. Yeah, yeah. I've always really enjoyed learning. Um, it's something that what I enjoy learning about has changed a lot throughout the years, and the ways in which I go about learning has changed a lot. But throughout all like education, I was always very much focused on the whatever textbook I was supposed to be learning and whatever like skill. And I would say like a lot of times it seemed more like technical learning. And I would say like throughout my 20s and now into my 30s, I just really want to like learn how to, I don't know, I think I've had a desire to just like learn about a variety of different things. And I think that for me, the desire has come from a place of wanting to be able to interact with a lot of different individuals. And it's one thing that as I've read more or as I've learned about different topics, I find that I can engage in conversations with people of various backgrounds. One thing I really enjoyed about being a physical therapist was I had like little windows into people's lives. And so I, you know, one hour I would be working with someone who was a CEO of a software company. And then the next hour, I might be working with someone who was uh, maybe working in a warehouse. And the next hour, I might be working with someone who's a flight attendant. And so I really enjoyed getting little windows in people's lives. And I think it helped me to get a little more well-rounded of a person. And it's something that I I still... I think one thing that I kind of grew through that and maybe the current evolution of my like learning is more in the realm of... I feel like I've gotten a lot better at asking questions of people and getting kind of to the root of who they are, what motivates them. Cause yeah, I mean, those, those things I think interest me a lot, you know, it's part of like connecting with people. Whereas maybe in the past I was more focused on like, Oh, how can I grow just myself or develop my skills? Whereas now I feel like I'm, I'm just like, oh, I want to like try to like connect better and more with people. Sounds like you're a know-it-all. <laughs> I mean, as, <laughs> as we mentioned, this, this is a mass that I would say that I definitely have issues with. It's something though, you know, as we were talking about at the beginning, the more that I've learned, the more I feel comfortable with not knowing about things. But yeah, I definitely, there is, there is also a place though, where being able to engage in conversations about really random things because you've learned something about it is it's enjoyable and interesting. I was talking with someone earlier today about biking. He's getting a new bike and uh, I don't bike that often, but I've read a lot about, about biking and I've considered biking. And, and so I, we had this long conversation about biking and he was like, Oh, so do you bike? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> I don't bike, but I know more nice. than you do about it. Sounds like you're a turd dropper. You just <laughs> drop nuggets. Okay. Good. Yeah. That's a good call on that, Thomas. Yeah. Along no, the way. I'm playing and I'm playing. I made that joke, but not in a way to like put you down. Stay on. Yeah. Honestly, this chapter, sorry to get off topic here, Rob, but this chapter, I thought it was going to be more of people who know a lot about many different subjects. And before I read the chapter, I was like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If someone is knowledgeable and has wisdom about a lot of different topics in life, 
honestly, those are usually people that I look up to. If I can go to someone and ask for advice or ask for wisdom about any random topic and they, they have good advice. Yeah. I think they are usually someone who is respectful and smart and wise. And I look up to those people. You're talking about a Renaissance man. Like Adam Flesner. So I think that type of (laughs) know-it-all is good. But the way that this chapter went, it was more geared toward people who need to say something when they're not necessarily asked to give their opinion. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like the beginning section of the book definitely started with that, but that might be a good segue because I definitely think that there were even Lewis talked about it. He struggled to write his book on greatness and he knew a little bit about it by what he had studied or what he had learned along the way from other pursuits. But he focused then on what he needed to know. But then, you know, there were a lot of guys, I think he shared a dude that had a a great rise and then a great downfall. And the guy basically at the end of it was like, I don't know much about anything. So Lewis continues on by talking about how man's pursuit of learning and truth is through great questions, similar to what Salem, you were talking about and Matt and through asking question after question, the questionnaire arrives at the truth. When men hide behind the know-it-all mask, they are focused on talking and being heard rather than being taught, learning, and understanding. Lewis quotes a famous Socrates quote, I know that I know nothing, and how an attitude of realizing that we don't know much at all is the antidote to the cockiness of the know-it-all. So I kind of struggled with this with the book as the other sto- like as the back half of the chapter moved on, is it basically had a bunch of Matt, what you would be saying, like wiser folks like Socrates, probably a very wise philosopher, basically saying, I don't know anything. So do you find it interesting that the people who would know more than others say that they don't know anything at all? Is it almost too, it is, is it almost being too humble? Because surely somebody's got to know something or at least more than somebody else. That's a good point. Like, I, I didn't, I was struggling with that, man, because they, they just, they if just everybody's know how walking much. around saying, I don't know anything, I don't know anything, then who's actually going to talk and lead and teach and give out wisdom? They I mean, just know how much more is out there. Saying, hey, I, don't come to me. I don't know anything. Like, how do we progress? Yeah. With that? I know what you're saying. Fletus, do you have more on that? I just said they just know how much more is out there to learn. So they feel like they don't know anything because it's true. There is so much more out there to learn about everything. Yeah. But I think, I think the way that Rob perceived that statement, it's don't, it's just one way to perceive that statement, right? True. Because if his point is to tell people that he is ignorant, I don't think that that's what he was trying to say. I think he was trying to say, I know what I know, but because I know so much, I realized there's way more left to learn than I ever thought. <laughs> That's amazing, man. That's I mean, does that make sense? Because, I mean, I was just thinking about this in terms of history, because this guy basically started like the method that we turned into science, right? Like the critical method of logic and reasoning. And this was like, how long ago? 
thousands, thousands of years? What was it? Over 1,000 or over 2,000 years ago? When was Socrates kicking around? I think 1985. <laughs> 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 1958, you dyslexic. Uh, <laughs> shout out to my stepsister. Have you guys ever heard of like the uh, like the exponential growth of knowledge though? Or like accelerating change is basically the theory that the longer we learn things, the faster that knowledge kind of expands. And to think about how little stuff there was to really question back then, I think a lot of it was superstition and myths is what people based their understanding on, right? And he was one of the he first guys to be like BC. really critical and come up with this idea of you know, questioning everything and it being okay. But I I can only imagine like how little there was to learn back then compared to today. (laughs) And they still struggled with this. Like we have it way harder. If you think about how much, how much information is out there. As you're, as you're talking, Thomas, like uh, what I'm thinking of is technology and how there just wasn't that much technology in, in the past. Technology wasn't as complex maybe as it is now you know, it's advanced. And so any technology in the past might have been like a like a wheel. That was technology, right? But like now it's like a remote controller. Like how does a remote controller work? You know, and like the average person back when a wheel was the best technology or whatever kind of technology would have been around. (laughs) But they would have understood it because you could just look at it and understand it. But (laughs) now you get to stuff where there's so much stuff where what's dangerous. And Adam, I'm sure you have ideas when it comes to chat GPT with this. But what's dangerous now or maybe feels dangerous is there's so few people that know actually how all this crazy technology works. (laughs) I was on a SkyTrain, which is just a crazy word, right? SkyTrain at uh, leaving (laughs) the airport the other day. (laughs) You're living in 2055, dog. No, no, but so (laughs) there I was in the front cart and this little boy like looks up to his parents. He's probably five or six and he goes, there's no one driving the train. (laughs) That's pretty scary. I'm like, yeah, he gets it. And it's like, what, you know, we don't quite like, surely someone's driving the train somehow. Someone's at a computer somewhere, but how do these things work? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it is scary for sure. Yeah. We're so unwilling to admit that we don't know anything though. Right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not either. We don't want anybody to question our knowledge. We don't want anybody to question what, what we know. Cause that's scary. Yeah. It's uh, it's very pertinent in sales because in sales, like the num- the best thing to do is just ask questions because you can't gain yeah. any knowledge unless you ask a question. So if you like walk into a place and you don't know anything about these people really, and you just start telling them what you think or, or like what you want them to hear, you don't ask questions about like what they actually need. You're just gonna look like an idiot. So like you, it's like yeah. the more questions you ask to fix your problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You walk in there and tell them they need a turkey baster. They're gonna be like, "What? Get out of here, guy!" <laughs> it's not until you show them is that's, that's when they really like the wheel. You just look at it and you understand. <laughs> Have you ever thought about using a turkey baster for X, Y, or Z? No. <laughs> No? Well, let me show you. Do you have five minutes? 
five, two and a half. So all you need. <laughs> I thought that was going to be one of Rob's new ads. <laughs> no, yeah. throw it in the mix. <laughs> Anybody have any other thoughts? Back to the original question, Rob. What was that? If, if everyone were to say that we know nothing, that I know nothing, especially in a workplace, nothing would ever get done. It's different in the workplace, at least for me, versus out of the workplace for this whole chapter. And Thomas, you were talking earlier about if you're in this leadership position versus a student, how your dynamic changes and how you think. And I was yep. thinking about that in the workplace. It's kind of just in my mind all the time of the power dynamics of who I'm talking to. If I'm talking sure. to leadership or people who are above me on the, the corporate ladder, then I am definitely not going to say as much as I normally would, mm-hmm. especially to if it were other coworkers who are on the same level as me or, or maybe below me, like that's when I would put on the mask of being a know-it-all. Because if they're coming to me and I'm ahead of them in the corporate ladder, then I feel like I should know some answers and I should say something. Whereas vice versa. Isn't that wise in context of you succeeding in your career though? Isn't that behavior wise? To do what I'm doing? Yeah, I I mean... I I think it could go either way because... If you don't want to overdo it, but you could inspire confidence. If I'm trying to go higher, though, I should be voicing my opinions more. Well, you that know? might be true. Yeah. Try to like gain respect from the people who are above me. There's so many great, but at the same though. time, it could go the other way. If I say something really stupid that's wrong, then they can just count me out for that promotion. You know? <laughs> yeah. Or if they really love Dumb and Dumber, they might promote you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mean you've had two pairs or, of gloves this whole time? <laughs> or if their names are Bob and, or if their names are Bob and you know the Bob's yeah, dude, office. Oh, office space. Yes, let's talk about that. <laughs> I was Matt thinking and I about were office space. Mockingbird the other night. Yeah. We did. Bird. Yeah. yeah. But in office space, no. the guy who stops trying gets promoted. That's true. <laughs> and don't you see that in life, though? Every time I'm asked a question, I'm gonna just going to start answering, I know nothing. You know nothing. <laughs> Rob, does that bother you? Rob, does that bother you? No, no, it doesn't. Okay. I think I was reading the chapter and it just started to basically act like everyone was walking around saying that they didn't know anything. And I was becoming frustrated in that because I was like, who is going to be sharing truth? Who's going to be sharing wisdom? Um, yeah. Obviously, the guy that had the huge rise and the huge downfall, like he wrote a bunch of stuff. And I think that you can learn a lot from people about what to do and what and what not to do. And um, that kind of gets into the next spot, but we'll we'll stay on this one for a little bit. No, it doesn't. I think Thomas clarified it really well when he said, mm-hmm. you know, that would actually be ignorance. And it's just through yeah. the level of deep understanding that there's been numerous topics where I get into it and then I like recognize the depth that I thought was like this big, but it's actually this big. And you're like, wow, yeah, 
Like there's so much more here to learn and it's, it can be overwhelming at times, but that's the good thing around the pursuit of knowledge is if you're hungry and you want to learn and can do that on your own through whatever resources, or you can learn from somebody. It's awesome to learn. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Do you get annoyed of those left lane losers that drive slow and don't move to the right lane? Are you tired of passing them on the right lane, giving them a dirty glare only for them to not see your frustration? Now introducing bumper thumper. This vehicular modification attaches to your grill and allows you to really ride those yahoos <laughs> and give them that love tap to let them know to move over. Bumper thumper, when the horn and the bright lights don't work. It's okay, guys. Tough crowd. What the hell is a yahoo? What's a yahoo, dude? A yahoo is just a dummy that's not moving over. <laughs> No, you are cutting out. That's probably why we couldn't really react. Yeah. Well, I heard it. I just didn't think it was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. And now back to the show. Let me move on then. So Lewis finishes with how everyone has something to teach you what to do and what not to do if we're willing to learn it. How men need to close their mouths and open their ears. And it is through that humility that we become wise. So who is someone that you have enjoyed learning from? What specific trait about them did you enjoy most? Ooh, that's good. That's a good question, Robbie. Right? Yeah. Hey. Andrew Huberman. Mm. Probably the best scientist of our lifetime, in my opinion. What about him? He, his ability to... First of all, he's brilliant Stanford scientist that has taught, teaches in the Stanford Medical School. Secondly, he can do a podcast where he can be entertaining and the masses can be entertained by it. And he can take complex science stuff and make it simple <laughs> and can just sit at a computer screen and talk for three hours and people listen to it. It's just mind blowing to me. And he can make something like sunlight cool to listen about getting morning sunlight. You know what I mean? Someone that's brilliant, but he also like is pretty humble and that he brings on guests and is willing to admit a lot of times that he doesn't know about topics that the people that he brings on know about more, which is cool. You could say, I mean, I would say that he could easily be a know-it-all, but he's, he's not, you know? So I do like the way he presents stuff. And I think that speaks to his spirit of it's like he's teaching, but also kind of in the way that Lewis mentioned Mike Rowe was right. He's teaching by showing an example of how to be a good listener. And he goes through these topics in a way that doesn't feel like he's cramming information down your throat saying this is the truth and you must accept it. But by questioning things and kind of exploring them in a way that he's unapologetic if he doesn't know something, which makes you feel comfortable also questioning things and being curious. I do like his stuff. But dang, dude, like three, three and a half hours is way too long for a podcast. I'm sorry. (laughs) I can't do all that. Hey, man. Million. Millions. Here's the one for you, Thomas. Um... You know, I think it was really wise when Snoop Dogg said, drop it like it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's just kind of, I get. Was he talking about potatoes? Hot potatoes? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ooh. like, have you ever get, gotten burned? <laughs> I remember I got burned before. It hurts, man. 
Have you ever <laughs> seen peanut butter dance? What does drop it like a top mean? Can you? What does that mean? <laughs> what is anything? You know what it means. <laughs> no, I, honestly, man, that's such a hard question to answer. I yeah. think I think the way the way my dad taught me stuff was pretty cool because he was pretty sensitive to not forcing things on me and letting me learn on my own accord. And I think that's a pretty valuable way to learn. And it's like you need guardrails, especially if you have a kid and you're trying to teach them. You want to keep them safe. You want to prevent them from doing anything too stupid. But at the same time, it's like being a little bit too much overbearing when it comes to this is how it is and there's there's no way to to question it or think differently about it you know i don't think that's the right way either so it it really takes a lot of balance i think if you're a parent but yeah i would say and he's definitely somebody who i feel like i've learned a lot from just about how to how to treat people how to live and how to be balanced as a person that's honestly one of the hardest things to continue to remember Um, how about you Stalen? so again it was someone that you enjoy or that you enjoy learning from or learn the most from correct Learn the most from when you asked, I, I think I started thinking about just different people, friends in my life. Obviously, as Adam mentioned, there's a lot of, you know, voices that I've listened to that are people that I've read their books that I feel like have been really helpful. But the first name, like, so I would like, as Thomas said, I would definitely say some, like my dad, there's a lot of things about my dad that he's been helpful with, like teaching me things throughout the years kind of throughout the stages. Sometimes though, I, f- I feel like it's helpful to have that also some people in your age group and that kind of thing. And so, I mean, I definitely feel like there's a lot of wisdom I still can gain from my dad, but for s- some reason that the person I keep thinking of right now is my, my brother-in-law. Um, his name's Tim. He, he's a couple years older. He's married to Ruth's oldest sister. And yeah, he's just an extremely wise person. He's a pastor. So I feel like there's a lot I can learn from him in terms of like spiritually, but also he's probably the most well-read person that I know. And he's similarly someone that he reads books in a lot of different genres. And so he just knows a lot about a lot of different things. Um, I think he typically reads around 50 to 60 books a year. And yeah, he's just someone who I feel like every time that I'm around him, I learned multiple new things. He's also a runner. And so me being a runner, he's a much faster runner than me. Hmm. So with that kind of common ground, there's things I can learn from him in terms of training. He does, uh, he's a cross country coach. And so there's always stuff I learned with that too. So um, he's someone I've enjoyed learning throughout the years. You got 10 GPT, dude. 60 <laughs> a year. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. My dad went through my mind as well when you asked the question, which I have to mention Listening to one of our previous episodes, the aggressive mask, I realized I was talking about my dad in past tense. It kind of made him sound like he's not alive anymore, but he is alive. Hi, dad. <laughs> if you're listening. Dude, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I need to clarify because every time I talked about something about my dad, I was like, he was a good dad or like he was <laughs> kind of made it sound like something tragic happened <laughs> later on but <laughs> that, tur- that turkey based or accident <laughs> yep Greek turkey accident privilege not accident oh. <laughs> oh. it was an honor <laughs> All right. anyways to actually answer the question I think <laughs> someone who came to mind is Michael Ward. 
he was a guest speaker at, at Missouri State for one of my religion classes. And he is an expert on C.S. Lewis. Uh-oh. And the way he presented his topics, the passion behind it, and his overall knowledge, plus the fact that he's British and has an awesome British accent, <laughs> it was very captivating to listen to him. Sure. Um, and you could just tell everyone in the room, we were in one of those big lecture halls with hundreds of seats and it was packed but you could just tell everyone in the room was just hanging on his every word. Just the way he spoke was awesome. That's cool. Uh, but I don't know if this is allowed in the question, Rob. The person I enjoyed the most is probably C.S. Lewis, even though he's not alive. Does that count? Mm. Yeah. I was going to say Jesus, but I guess that works too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. C.S. Lewis is Touché. cool. It's good. It's good. One Marcus, up. shout One out up. to Marcus Aurelius too, you know. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 C.S. Lewis sure. is very influential in my life, especially in college yeah. years. And I took that C.S. Lewis class and just got to learn a lot about his life and read a lot of his books. What about you there, Rob? I have been very fortunate to have a couple spiritual fathers as well, a couple priests that have been in my life over the past couple of years that have been just instrumental to just recognizing my true, you know, identity man in Christ. And I've really shown me a lot about the faith and theology and apologetics and, um, man, just really helped walk me to the altar when I was getting married and still are in my life. And I love learning from them and, um, they just make it so easy and so digestible to, to learn, but they're great men. And, I love grabbing beers with them and hanging out. And Marianne tried to get one of them, Matt, to uh, to my little surprise birthday party, but he wasn't able to make it. But it, it it's been really cool to to grow with these spiritual fathers. So that that's, that's cool. where that's where I go. I think there's been some people at work that have been really really good at what they do. And there's been like experiences of kind of going in and feeling like you're watching Michael Jordan in his prime with just how people approach situations, watching how their minds work, watching what they see about a problem or situation and how they deliver uh, their message to and how they try to maximize and get everything like to bring the most value to the project or the situation or the company. And I've had a couple leaders or whatever that, that have been that for me that have been really cool to, to kind of sit back and learn from. So that's cool. It's funny thinking about like the goat or the Michael Jordan of supply chain and logistics. For, <laughs> I mean, every industry has it, right? I feel like for supply chain, it's gotta be whoever started the pony express. Oh, right? it's not. You mean the USPS? No, the Pony Express. The uh, Amish? You don't know about the Pony Express, bro? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> just Did you guys talk about the Pony Express in college? Uh, I don't really <laughs> think we did. In that class, logistics history, LOG321. Come on, you didn't take that, Rob? I took that, and that's not even my major, dude. 
I want to take that class. <laughs> who would who would be though, Rob? Well, it started with a wheel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was gonna make that joke. <laughs> That's good, Rob. No, it's just all about watching greatness, man. No, yeah, I I obviously I joke, but. That's cool, man. I'm, I mean, I think to be inspired by those you work with is a cool thing. Yeah. It helps, helps the work, you know, makes the work easier, makes it more enjoyable. Yeah. Any closing thoughts here on this chapter? I, I, I did enjoy it. I think there's a lot to learn about what to do and what not to do, but just kind of curious if there's any closing remarks that you guys have. As, as I mentioned, I feel like the know-it-all mask is a mask that I would say I've had a lot of issues with. It's it's a mask that I have hid behind a lot and go in and out of. I think for me, as I as I mentioned, as we talked about earlier, the answer has been just asking questions, seeking like seeking humility, seeking to like try to learn something from anyone and everyone. Um, everyone has some some value to provide in a situation, and so really trying to aspire to. Yeah, see see what everyone can uh, the value that they can provide to a situation and kind of getting out of the space of I I know I know things best and uh, really just relying on myself. Yeah, that's something I need to work on too, especially when it comes to talking with my wife. At times, mm. there are yeah. there are a lot of times when we are talking about something like an event that's coming up, and I just make a comment like I just don't remember that we had talked about it previously. And I say, we never talked about this. Like, mm. When did we talk about this? And she says, yes, we did. We had this conversation. <laughs> or like looking for ketchup in the fridge. I just cannot find it. And I'm like, the ketchup is not here. We need to go out and buy some more. <laughs> and she walks over and it's like, it immediately finds the ketchup hiding behind something. I'm like, oh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Now I'm an idiot. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I used to do that a lot. The yeah. know-it-all mask and ketchup. Oh, <laughs> those are very small but real examples of ways in which yeah. I can be more humble when it comes to my wife and just listening more, um, and not getting angry when I am just being an idiot and not listening to her, but. Maybe I just need to apologize and actually listen more and be humble about it. I think there's a lot of self-awareness that comes with controlling this mask because I feel like for me, I never feel good after I act like a know-it-all. I always regret that. And I think what precedes those actions is number one, a feeling of insecurity that comes from somewhere. Could be a lot of places, I guess. And number two... Uh, maybe some subconscious judgment about the people that I'm surrounded by, which is a negative judgment about them that is probably unfair. And so I think those two things really, or you act like a know-it-all or you beat somebody else down with your opinion and you realize it or kind of make of a fool of yourself, I guess, just what were you insecure about and why did you judge that person as if they maybe didn't know something that they could have known if you would have just listened, maybe you would have found out kind of what they knew. And I would say one thing we didn't hit on much is the emotions that, that come up after somebody's a know-it-all and it's overwhelmingly negative. You know, you really, like Matt said, words matter and, and the way in which you speak matters a lot. And 
when you're a know-it-all, nothing good really comes from it. Do you think there's some fraternal correction that we as as men, if we're seeing a know-it-all, like would it be a know-it-all to call out a know-it-all? My wife gives me a nudge sometimes if we're in a group and I'm talking too much. <laughs> She's like, hey, shut up. And I really appreciate that, you know? It's awesome. My yeah. sister does that with her husband. It's awesome. I know exactly what she's saying. And she's, always, she's almost always right. She really is. Yeah, it can be overwhelming when you're in those situations or those settings. And it's kind of everybody staring at the same person for an hour. And it's like, all right, I'm over there. Like, all right, shut up, dude. <laughs> I was just going to mention the last page here where he says the one constant in the world is change. And basically, it's not good to get stuck on your one point of view and to like be closed off to that. Because like, I mean, think about just even us. I mean, I have completely different life experiences from you guys. And I'm like a career close friend, you know, so like extrapolate that out into the world. And it's like that, like that your world, your life experience shapes the way that you are and the way that you think. And so if you are so closed off to like your one hyper-focused worldview and then you're not going to learn and you're just going to be kind of a jerk probably. Yeah. That's good, man. That wraps up our episode for the Books Brothers podcast. Next week, the bros will review and discuss the alpha mask. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't yet, buy or borrow the mask of masculinity and follow along with us. Please subscribe and give us a review. We would really appreciate it. Also, please consider sharing the podcast with a friend or family member who you'd think would get something out of it. Finally, we'd love to hear from you. If you were challenged by our conversation or have any questions or feedback, email us at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Until then, read, reflect, and connect.